Either way, the only reason a false flatterer says anything is for his own advantage. The guy who's trying to kiss up to someone, the only reason they say anything is for their own advantage is because they think they're doing something for their boss, but they're not. In reality, they're only doing something for themselves. If you're a Christian and you're doing that, well, guess what? You have more faith in your lies and your trickery than, than you do in God. Because what you're doing is saying, hey, I'm trying to promote myself by being really kind and saying what this guy, what I think this guy wants to hear. Don't be a false flatterer. In today's message from Pastor Mark, he teaches you that false flattery is destructive. False flattery is telling someone what you think they might want to hear just so you can look good in their eyes. Those who speak false flattery are often trying to promote themselves and are seeking after their own selfish gain. If you're a Christian and are speaking false flattery, you are saying that you believe more in your lies and tricks to get you where you need to go versus trusting in the Lord. Be sure to remember that God alone is the one who provides a path to success. All promotions, blessings, and gifting come from Him. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in 2 Samuel chapter 16 for today's edition of Come Alive. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to pick up there in our verse-by-verse study through the book of 2 Samuel. All right, so if you look at chapter 16, and we're picking up in verse 15... You know, last week we went through um, 16 through 14, verse 1 through 14, and all of a sudden we come to this verse here. Verse 15 says, Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people and the men of Israel came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. And so it was when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! So Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend, and why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. So the meanwhile part is kind of like meanwhile, if you were watching a TV show and it left off, you know, in some weird area, it'd be kind of like meanwhile back at the ranch, or meanwhile back at the castle, or meanwhile back at whatever. When you think about it, it's picking up where verse 37 of chapter 15 left off. And so what we studied last week was kind of like this parentheses from chapter verse 1 through 14 of chapter 16. So it left off, and now we're coming back, because if you look at it, it would fit perfectly. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. That's verse 37 of chapter 15. Came into to the city, and Absalom and all the people and the men of Israel came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. See how that just kind of, it just blends. It makes perfect sense. So when we study the Bible, we got to look at certain words and say, meanwhile, what's meanwhile mean? Well, meanwhile, all this stuff that was taking place that we studied last week, now we're coming back to what we studied two weeks ago. And so we're bringing it back. We're going to bring it to a conclusion. And so David has been cheated. He's been cursed. He's been cheated by Ziba, cursed by Shimei, chastened by his own son Absalom. And the people of Israel have left him. They've turned on him. And so meanwhile, back at the castle, the camera kind of switches back to Jerusalem now, 16 miles back to where David has left. And there's a couple of verses in Scripture that you may 
look at and you may read, and by themselves, they don't make any sense. And if you want to turn there, you may. It's 2 Samuel chapter 12, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11. It says, thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he shall lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and under the sun. Now, if you just read that verse, if you were just like, Lord, you know, give me a verse and I'm just going to, and you're one of those people who flip through the scriptures and I recommend you not to be one of those people, but just flip through the Bible and you throw your finger down and you're like, oh, that's the verse of the day. That you would be like, well, this is weird. My companion and what this says is like, this doesn't make sense to me. But it does now as we pick up here in verse 15 of chapter 16. And so Ahithophel, if you go to verse 19, it says, Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son as I have served your father's presence? So will I be in your presence? And then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give advice. Give advice. So Absalom's looking for advice. He says, Give advice as to what I should do. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep your house, and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. And then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on top of the house. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. And now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. So here we see what's being said back here, going back to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11, what's being said is to David. And basically, the prophet saying, David, you and Bathsheba were meeting privately up there on the roof in the dark, and you thought you got away with it. But in reality, you really didn't. But now part of the consequences are going to be somebody in your own house is going to sleep with your wives. And really not your wives, but your concubines, your women, and in broad daylight. And then, again, Ahithophel, if you remember who Ahithophel is, going back to the meanwhile, back at the ranch type of a deal, he was David's press secretary, his chief confidant, his good friend. But he was also, also the grandfather of Bathsheba. And so he goes with the conspiracy because he's not digging what David had done to Bathsheba and murdering her husband. So there are those who think, like these guys, that this is David's kingdom when you really think about it, these guys are thinking, well, you know, this is David's kingdom. Ahithophel is one of them, but in reality, it's not. It's God's kingdom. It's God's kingdom. Matthew sixteen eighteen says, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now, when you think about that, people will take that verse and be like, oh yeah, you know, God's going to build his church and nothing bad's going to happen to me because I'm a Christian. I'm part of his church. But hey, guess what? Nothing will prevail but that doesn't mean battles won't ensue. That doesn't mean people aren't going to shoot things at your gate. You know, I mean, battles are going to happen and wars are going to be fought, but his kingdom, his church will prevail. And though you've got to go through some of these battles in these tough times, when you think about it, the church will prevail. Who's the church? You're the church. We're the church. Each individual is the church. It's not the building. It's not the pastor. I had somebody the other day call and say, you know, we want to get married. And they don't go to our fellowship. And I said, awesome, that's great. And they said, what do you need from us? I said, well, you need to come in. You need to fill out an application. And they said, well, what's on the application? We're just trying to cut through. We're, you know, we're in a hurry. And I'm thinking, oh, shotgun wedding, right? You know? And I said, well, let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you and, and your boyfriend live together? And they said, yes. I said, well, if I marry anyone, I usually require you to go through some premarital counseling. And that could take anywhere from six to 12 weeks, depending on how fast you want to get through it. 
You're like, oh, six to 12 weeks. Yeah. And they're like, huh, that's weird. And so what has to happen? I go, well, since you guys are living together, during that time, I ask that you guys separate. Don't live together. Oh, that ain't ever going to happen. And I said, well, then, you know, a justice of the peace come here. No, 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 we want our marriage blessed. I'm like, well, it ain't me that's going to bless the marriage because I don't do that. You know, and the late, because when I told her, I said, well, it's not me that blesses it. I, I didn't think that she didn't understand it. She goes, what do you mean you don't bless it? I was like, I, there, nothing, I'm just a man. I just, I just performed the ceremony. And she was like, really? I was like, yeah, I just, I just performed the ceremony. I, I, I do a little message and talk about how awesome God is inside the marriage. And, oh, we don't want any of that. We just want our marriage to be blessed. And I said, well, you got to go to God for that blessing. And if you want it to be blessed, then you got to live a lifestyle. And so I got a chance to witness, you know, and she was like, oh, so we got to be Christians to be married in your church. I said, no, you don't have to be. <laughs> you just, I'll marry you guys. I'm going to give you the gospel message. And the reason I do that, some of my friends are like, man, why wouldn't, you know, I was like, hey, I want those guys, even if they're not Christians and they get married, they still got to go through premarital counseling. They're going to hear the gospel. They're going to have the gospel presented before them and all their friends in some area, whether it be 10 or 100. But I want them to hear the gospel message because when the arguments ensue and somebody wants to, then usually they come to the pastor that married them for marriage counseling. And that opens up another time for them to hear God's word again. And just like last week, I was explaining to someone, we don't, I'm a Christian, and though we offer counseling, it's not Christian counseling, it's biblical counseling. We go off of what the Bible says. And so we have to be careful that we just don't take anyone that throws the word Christian because I'd heard somebody this week saying, well, you know, I went to this person, and when I talked to you, you said, you know, based off of last week's message, that it was consequences that I'm suffering because of things I have sown. I said, yeah. Well, this other counselor who's a Christian said it was just bad luck. And I go, well, I'll tell you what. You find bad luck or the word luck in the Bible, and then you, I, I will ask for your forgiveness for counseling you the wrong way. When you find that, let me know. You know, because luck isn't in the Bible. God, God is in control, not luck. Not luck, because if you look up the definition of luck, it even kind of talks to a force, having there's a force or a God or a deity, you know, and it's like, okay, well, that's fine. That's a pretty good definition, but we know it is the God, the one true God that is in control. And so a lot of times, you know, the church will prevail, not by luck, because there are battles we have to go through that make us stronger and stronger. So we need to be the church. And so, again, for the moment in our historical account here, it looks as if these conspirators are succeeding. And if we go to the world, to the counselor, then, oh, David's having just some, a run of bad luck. But in reality, we know he's suffering the consequences of something he's planted. He has done something wrong, which we've read, and a prophet comes and says, hey, this is what God says that's going to happen. This is what the basically the scriptures say. And so if you look at David and the people with him, it feels and it reads as if they've already lost, but they haven't. See, David's advisor, Ahithophel, he's over there. He's on their side. It's a friend lost. And Absalom moves the capital city back to Hebron, as we talked about. And so now the people of Hebron are like, yeah, man, this is awesome because now, you know, income will increase because we're the capital city again. And Jerusalem is not because that stinking David guy just took it away from here where we were and moved it over there. Well, how dare him do that? And so the people in the property are with Absalom. And man, it really looks good for these guys and not so good for David. But he's been, Absalom has been promoting himself. 
perverting the truth, standing up at the gates of the city, listening to the people cry and complain. And he's playing that perfect perverted politician. Oh, yeah, you've got a lot of problems, and I'm going to be the guy to take care of them. And, you know, you, you vote for me, or, you know, you bring me in as king, and I'm going to be the guy to take care of all your problems. You will never have to, and uh, I'll meet all your needs. And he's playing that perverted politician. See, it'd be easy to say God's hand is not on David. It would be very easy to say that. A lot of times we as Christians get this distorted view. We twist it and we think just because life gets rough, just because things don't go our way, just because it seems like the bottom's about to fall out of it, well, obviously, and it could, it could, it could mean God doesn't want you to do that, or it could be you're in the middle of his perfect will for your life. He's just trying to grow you and make you stronger. But that's between you and God, not me, you, and God. People come to me and say, hey, what's it sound like? I had to go to a friend yesterday, and I said, man, you know, I'm not going to go to California because life has been so rough this past week, I don't see it getting any smoother next week. And he said, well, let me ask you a couple of questions. And he did. He goes, remember when you counseled me, I'm going to ask you the same questions you asked me when I said I wasn't going to do something. I said, okay, cool. And as I heard that, I thought to myself, wow, you know what? That's pretty good advice. I just had to hear it come from him, from somebody else. Even though my wife had said it, I was willing to listen to her, but I was kind of like, you know, making excuses and trying to justify, well, you know, life's rough and I don't think God wants me to go. I have more peace staying home. And when, in reality, when I really got down to the bare bones minimum of it and really began to pray, I really, it was just laziness. I didn't want to pack my suitcase. Uh, I didn't want to have to think about waking up at four o'clock in the morning on California's time to, to get a phone call from my guys if they call or have to deal with stuff while I'm at a pastor's conference and have to order lawnmower parts or flowers or whatever. And it was like one of those things he'd ask me. He's like, what could you do there or here that you couldn't do there? You know, and and my biggest deal was like, oh, you know, I just really want the comfort of being able not to have to get up and leave. And he's like, hey, man, just plug in your computer and do whatever work you have to do when you have to do it. No more, no less. And so I was like, okay, cool. Life was rough. I would have made a bad decision, possibly. I don't know. Now, I'll find out this coming week if I wasn't supposed to go. Because if it all falls apart here, then I'm like, all right, cool. But maybe God has a message for me to hear. And and the last time I did that, there was an amazing message that I needed to hear. There was a guy who didn't even know me who prayed, as I told you guys about, who prayed exactly specifically for the things I was going through. And it seemed like, wow, the Lord really heard that prayer. And so when you think about it, and you think about what David prays, See, if God's hand's not on David, if you look back at 2 Samuel verse 31, it says, then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators, in chapter 15, verse 31, with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshiped God, there was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. That's kind of weird when you think about these two verses together. And this is why it is very important that, you know, we, we didn't see this probably the first time when we were going through it. And so that's why we need the full counsel of God's word, not just parts of God's word, because just like 12, chapter 12, verse 11 and 12 are just kind of weird out there by themselves. This one, if you read these two, you're like, wow, David's praying for Ahithophel's foolishness. And all of a sudden it goes, and now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshiped God, where he's praying that this guy Hushai shows up. And you're like, yeah, that is weird. It's a weird name. Yeah, it is. If you're looking for a name for your kid, it'd be a cool name. So here's this. He said, you, you and I won't see this, but again, it's God's word. 
It's God's word, and we can't just take it in parts because if we take the whole thing, it starts to make sense now as we look at this. See, David uses Heshai. Remember we talked about Hushai? Heshai, Hushai, as the spy guy. And he says, dude, when Ahithophel gives counsel, this is David, and not exactly quoting from the Bible, but he says, when Ahithophel gives counsel, I want you to make it sound, Lord, I want you to make it sound foolish. And so that's David's prayer. So here David says, and so Hushai, when he gives that counsel, I want you to subvert it for me. So Hushai says, yeah. And so God gives David this secret spy, a brother that he loves, because we find out that Hushai, from Absalom's words, is a close friend of David. And they got this special bond. They create this special bond. He's a spy, and they got this special bond. Hmm, James Bond. Too bad his name's not James. So he's got this spy. They got a special bond, and they're going to go in. And back to chapter 16, verse 16, it says, And so it was when Hushai, the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king. Long live the king. Which king? Absalom, because he's so full of pride, is probably thinking, yeah, that's me. But Hushai might be, that's David. Who knows? We don't know. Look at verse 17. So Absalom said to Hushai, is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? Hushai said to Absalom, no, but whom the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. So furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? As I have served your father's presence, so will be, I will be in your presence. And Absalom said to Hithophel, give advice as to what we should do. And so we saw the advice that he gets. And so here, Hushai's question. He's known to be a close friend of David. Hushai says, bro, I just want to be where God is. And false flattery always gets those who are lifted up in pride. Always. The person who's lifted up in pride is so willing and quick. It's kind of like somebody who tells a story. I have a friend that does this all the time. He's not a Christian, but he does this all the time. He'll tell stories about when he and I were kids. He'll be like, hey, Mark, tell that story about that time when I... And I'm like, bro, why don't you tell the story? You know. So I'll tell the story, and it's all about him, and he just sits back, and he loves it. And somebody will walk up and sit down, and he'll be like, hey, dude, you just missed an awesome story. And yeah, because you were the main character. And so that false pride, that false flattery gets those who are lifted up in pride. And so you need to be more concerned about what God thinks about what you're doing rather than what people think. So Absalom's got this false, this, this pride. And so Hushai does this false flattery thing. And so the only reason, and I, and the, I guess we'll just call him a false flatterer because I call, in the last service I called him a brown noser. But either way, the only reason a false flatterer says anything is for his own advantage. The guy who's trying to kiss up to someone, the only reason they say anything is for their own advantage is because they think they're doing something for their boss, but they're not. In reality, they're only doing something for themselves. If you're a Christian and you're doing that, well, guess what? You have more faith in your lies and your trickery than than you do in God. Because what you're doing is saying, hey, I'm trying to promote myself by being really kind and saying what this guy, what I think this guy wants to hear. And the guy that wants to hear it and likes hearing it is even in a worse position than you are. So you got these two, it's like the blind leading the naked. You got confusion. the, The blind guy doesn't know where he's leading the naked guy. And people step back and they're like, man, that is insane. There's nothing good about that. So Ahithophel tells Absalom, take all of your father's concubines, and a concubine is a woman who would be kept around for sexual pleasure. And so Absalom is told, take your dad's women, have wild sex with them on the roof inside of this tent, and in doing so, you're going to show the people you truly despise your father. Well, when you do this, you're going to truly despise your father. Now, some of you moms are over there looking at your kids, and you won't turn your head. Just turn your head. They're looking at you guys. It, it's PG-13. Lydia's got her fist up. Josh, don't get any ideas. 
So anyway, but when you think about it, this act was forbid by the Torah. This would show that Absalom is committed to the course of rebellion and that reconciliation would be totally out of the question. So Ahithophel says, hey, if you do this, if you go and you take your father's women and you do this act, there's no way the people will see that you're wishy-washy. They'll have no idea that you are like, hey, man, uh, I might turn back and try to, try to convince my dad not to do anything. They'll know you're in this all the way because the Torah said, hey, this would show, again, that this is a horrible act and it would be, well, death. Leviticus 20, verse 11. The penalty for the man who did that would be death. And so it's a heinous crime according to the Torah. So Absalom might escape David's hand of judgment, maybe, but he couldn't ever, ever escape the Lord's. And that's the thing you and I are called to see is like, you know what? It doesn't matter. We can hide anything we want from man, but here's the deal. God sees it. And so divine justice would ultimately prevail and the Lord would, well, bring Absalom's aspirations crashing down into an inglorious end. And so Ahithophel is saying, if David were any kind of a man, he would rescue his women. If you remember, he left 10 of his women behind to take care of the household. And so the enemy always comes and says, you need to make a statement. You need to make a statement. Ahithophel is that agent of the enemy. And he says, hey, I want to embarrass David. I want to humiliate David. And I want to shame him. Because basically that's what David has done to his family with Bathsheba. But look at what Ahithophel says and devises in verse 17, uh, verse 1. It says, Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and weak and make him afraid. And all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king. And then I'll bring back all the people to you when all return, except the man whom you seek. All the people will be at peace. And the same pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. So, Okay, okay, so we shame him. Guys, this is what we're going to do. And we embarrass him. And, and then we humiliate him. And now we annihilate him, we destroy him, and we eradicate him. See, Ahithophel is one of those people who comes alongside after you and your spouse might argue. And they're the ones that say, hey, I don't know why you put up with that guy or that gal. I, I don't know why you're even messing with them. I mean, obviously, from what you've told me, they're, they're just kind of a jerk. So just, just get rid of them. See, and then you start to think like, hey, you know, that might be a pretty good idea. But that idea never crossed your mind until that person showed up, until that enemy agent came around. So now everyone here in this story is looking at Ahithophel like, hey, this is David's best friend. He knows him. I mean, he's dumped him. And this advice here, and we're thinking, well, what about the advice sounding foolish? Did it sound foolish to the elders? Well, as we read on, we see that none of them stood up and said, this is foolishness. King David's story didn't end when he ascended the throne. He had finally achieved the promise God gave him, but his time on earth was far from concluded. He had to raise his family, lead a nation, conquer the enemy, and continue to rely on his creator to sustain him. David didn't always do this with the grace and perfection we'd assume from a man after God's own heart. In fact, he frequently failed, giving in to temporary pleasures, neglecting what God had for him to do. Every time, though, David came back to his creator, He repented of his sins and renewed his commitment to God. God's forgiveness was real and available for David, and it is for you today, too. Have you been afraid to come to God because of your life choices? He wants to hear from you. He sees your heart and already knows of your sins and is waiting to offer you forgiveness if you ask. 
Tracy's here to tell you more about this. Are you ready to meet Jesus and have your sins forgiven? We would be honored to be the ones to tell you about God's Son, who came to earth to pay the price for you and every person on earth. That price is death. But because Jesus died, you have the chance to live. Give us a call so we can tell you more. Our number is 281-391-5503. Thanks, Tracy. We are so glad you joined us today, and we hope you'll tune in again to Come Alive.